This is The Guardian. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates, coming to you from Gadigal Land, and this is The Full Story. It was a Thursday. It was one o'clock. I was at home. I sat down to watch Ardern's regular press conference over a live stream. Good afternoon. Today I have two important announcements to make. And I don't think anyone was expecting a big announcement. I think the best case scenario was maybe we'd get an election date. The general election for 2023 will be held on Saturday the 14th of October. But as well as that, we got... Today I'm announcing that I will not be seeking re-election. And that my term as Prime Minister will conclude no later than the 7th of February. No one in that room, I think, would have said that they saw it coming. I hope in return, I leave behind a belief that you can be kind but strong, empathetic but decisive, optimistic but focused, that you can be your own kind of leader, one that knows when it's time to go. In her five years as Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern made an indelible mark on New Zealand and the world. Today, The Guardian's Aotearoa New Zealand correspondent, Tess McClure, on the legacy and the leadership of Jacinda Ardern. It's Monday, the 23rd of January. So Tess, Jacinda Ardern's resignation came as a shock for you, as came as a shock for many other people as well. Why is she resigning? Well, the reasons she's given us are really that she doesn't have anything left in the tank. Because with such a privileged role comes responsibility. The responsibility to know when you are the right person to lead and also when you are not. I know what this job takes and I know that I no longer have enough in the tank to do it justice. It's that simple. It's an incredibly demanding job, obviously, for anyone, but maybe particularly for Ardern. She's governed New Zealand through what's felt at times like crisis after crisis, from natural disasters to the Christchurch terror attack and, of course, the COVID pandemic. So she's had a particularly exhausting term. And what she told us is that she really didn't have what she needed to give to the job. Jacinda Ardern made an incredible mark, not not only in New Zealand, but also all around the world. Can you talk me through her reign as Prime Minister? Yeah, so when she was elected back in 2017. I want to start by saying that it is an absolute honour and a privilege to have the ability, as the leader of the New Zealand Labour Party, to form a government for all New Zealanders. She became the world's youngest serving female head of government, and she came into power on this kind of, uh, the term used in New Zealand at the time was Jacinda mania. She resonated with the New Zealand public and 
She really managed to scrape an against the odds victory in that 2017 election. She became quite quickly an international brand and an international figure. Please welcome back to The Late Show, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. Nice to see you again. So nice to see you. Ardern was really governing at a time when the international stage was dominated by some of these figures like Donald Trump, like Bolsonaro, uh, Boris Johnson in the UK, and she did seem to provide a clear counterweight to some of those leaders and their tendencies, particularly with uh, the politics of kindness that she articulated throughout her premiership. And as her time went on, she really became known as that leader of crises. We gather here, 14 days on from our darkest of hours. In the days that have followed the terrorist attack on the 15th of March. In 2019, when the Christchurch terror attacks occurred at two mosques in Christchurch and a white supremacist gunned down 51 people there, I think that was one of the key moments in defining her strengths and capacity as a leader and also setting the tone for how, how she would govern and how she would govern at her best. What words express the grief of a city that has already known so much pain? I thought there were none. And then I came here and was met with this simple greeting. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you. How does Christchurch exemplify Ardern's leadership style? Yeah, so in the immediate aftermath of those attacks, she's talked a, a small amount about it and sitting down and just scrawling a few phrases, a few words on a piece of paper before she flew down. And the words she wrote were, they are us, among some others, which became the backbone of her speech that day. Over the past two weeks, we've heard the stories of those impacted by this terrorist attack. These stories, they now form part of our collective memories. They will remain with us forever. They are us. When she spoke very clearly and immediately in embrace of New Zealand's Muslim communities and immigrant communities in very resolute condemnation of the white supremacist who had conducted the attack. Mm. And when she arrived in Christchurch, her, you know, these images circulated around the world of her wearing her hijab as a mark of respect in the mosque, embracing people, embracing um, survivors. And she was really able to both connect at an immediate human level to the people in the city at that time, but also articulate very quickly uh, to New Zealanders and to other people around the world at least an aspirational vision of how the country could respond to an attack of that nature. Ko tato tato, assalam alaikum. It was an empathetic response, but also a decisive and practical response. 
Yeah, so in the immediate aftermath of those attacks, she did work cross-party and received cross-party support for gun reform in New Zealand, which is admittedly easier to achieve probably than it is in places like the US. Mm. But New Zealand almost immediately outlawed most semi-automatic weapons and assault rifles. So I think there was that response that was able to combine that immediate human connection, um, that emphasis on kindness is with a decisiveness um, that resonated with New Zealanders. And that came through again in the response uh, to the Fakari eruption, uh, which killed 21 people. Mr Speaker, just after 2pm, White Island erupted. There were two explosions, one after the other in quick succession. Again, her ability to connect in a very human way with the survivors, the first responders, and those grieving the people lost in that disaster came across very strongly. Just sitting off Fakare is a place called Paipai Aotea. It's a collection of rocks that jut out of Te Moana Nui Atoi. For some of the Matatua tribes, it is where those who have passed on begin their journey to the afterlife. I say to those who have lost and grieve, you are forever linked to our nation and we will hold you close. How did we see this leadership style applied during the pandemic? When the pandemic hit, there was that moment when it arrived on New Zealand shores and Ardern made that first crucial decision that really laid out the pathway for the next two years for New Zealand, that the country would be shutting its borders. Like the rest of the world, we are facing the potential for devastating impacts from this virus. And Ardern held this conference, expressed her decision and ended it with the words, So please be strong and be kind. It became really a catchphrase over that next, uh, especially the months that followed and into the year that followed. So Tess, it seems like her appeal went beyond her skills as a leader, though. People just really responded to her personality, to her sense of humour and to what she represents as a young woman in politics. What were the moments that really showcased that? Yeah, I think that there were some standout moments, particularly maybe on the international stage. New Zealand's baby wait is over. Jacinda Ardern giving birth to a beautiful, healthy baby girl, 7.3 pounds. Maybe you've all had a calming effect. She's just finally going to sleep. (laughs) She gave birth in office and became, I think, the second woman in the world to do so. It's a real pleasure to introduce our little one to you all um, and to New Zealand. There was a moment when she took her infant daughter, Neve, to the UN General Assembly. A spokesman noted that just 5% of the world's leaders are women and that the organisation needs to make them as welcome 
as possible. Some progress, how about that? I think probably what it speaks to is the fact that, you know, I am I am still breastfeeding. Uh, I have Neve near me most of the time. It was last year in 2022 when she was speaking to students at Harvard University. I'm used to walking into a room in New Zealand and knowing at least someone. Talking through New Zealand's approach to gun control, its approach to the way it was trying to compose its parliament and create a more diverse space of belonging within parliament. It seemed to really resonate, that earned a standing ovation there. I do take comfort knowing there are around 30 New Zealanders studying here. <laughs> And statistically, at least one of them will be my cousin. There were moments as well when she greeted the Queen um, wearing a korowai, a, a Māori feathered cloak that I think would have really resonated for New Zealanders seeing uh, that Indigenous culture represented in such a proud way on the international stage. And then there were also just quite human moments throughout her prime ministership. Uh, she would hold Facebook Lives, Instagram Lives during the pandemic to chat through her day or recent policy decisions. And there would be moments when... You're meant to be in bed, darling. Her daughter, Neve, who was then a toddler, would enter unexpectedly, uh, demanding attention. It's bedtime, darling. Pop back to bed. I'll come and see you in a second. I'll come and see you in a minute, OK? Sorry, everybody. <laughs> Which I'm sure was relatable to many parents working from home through the pandemic at the time. Yeah, Nanny will take you down to bed. Thanks, Nana. Well, that was a bedtime fail, wasn't it? <laughs> um, sorry, everyone, I thought I... Here's a moment, I'll do a Facebook Live. Jacinda Ardern's treatment at the hands of the media was frequently sexist. She was asked about whether she should choose between having a family and being prime minister. There were comments from journalists about her appearance, that she was attractive. How did she respond to this behaviour? I think Ardern certainly faced those kinds of questions on a scale that uh, previous prime ministers, previous male prime ministers in particular, would not have whether they were intended to be flattering uh, or whether they were intended to be critical. So the uh, recent questioning when she was appearing alongside Finnish Prime Minister Sanamaran. Yeah, a lot of people will be wondering, are you two meeting just because, you know, you're similar in age and, you know, got a lot of, you know, common stuff there. My first question is I wonder whether or not anyone ever asked Barack Obama and John Key if they met because they were of similar age. Yeah, we are meeting because we are prime ministers. <laughs> so I think that kind of casual sexism played quite frequently into what she was encountering and the kinds of questions that were being asked of her as a leader. And she was always, almost always, quick, uh, quick with a reply, quick to push back on those moments. Next, the waning of Jacinda Ardern's political fortunes.
What about Jacinda and her government's record on domestic policy? What did she change in New Zealand? The domestic policy record of Ardern and of her governments is much more complicated than the way she's seen on the international stage. So there have been some concrete wins, uh, for example, on improving metrics on child poverty, which is one of the core issues that Ardern said she was coming into politics to change. There has been some improvement there. Um, So there have been some concrete wins for working people, Particularly over the last year, there's the landmark policy of fair pay agreements, which dramatically increases the bargaining power, particularly of very low-wage workers. There have been increases to paid parental leave. The minimum wage has risen significantly, 30% over their tenure, and also increases to sick leave. And some victories that are a little more symbolic, like the full decriminalisation of abortion in New Zealand, Mm. the introduction of Matariki, which is uh, New Zealand's first Indigenous national holiday, and the settlement of some key treaty claims, so offering redress and compensation to Māori tribes that were disenfranchised or stolen from after the Treaty of Waitangi. You said it was complicated. How? The complicated element is really that on many of the core issues and challenges facing New Zealand, the government struggled to make progress. Perhaps most notable is the housing crisis, which is an enduring problem in New Zealand with some of the most expensive housing in the world. Uh, that's driven large numbers of people into insecure housing. It was a high priority for her voter base and for the government coming in, and it's one where they've very much struggled to make concrete progress. There were initial very ambitious plans to build a large number of state houses. Those were extremely slow to the point of failure, really, as a policy agenda. On climate change, the government made big announcements. Uh, Ardern announced a climate emergency uh, formally in Parliament, but on actually achieving a downturn in emissions, again, the government hasn't been able to achieve that. And on complex policy undertakings like figuring out how to price agricultural emissions, a lot of that policy work has been stalled or undercut to the point where some experts say it's not likely to be effective. And particularly in the last year of her governance, the economic situation in New Zealand's become incredibly challenging. Like a lot of countries, New Zealand's facing economic headwinds, but particularly high inflation has led to quite dramatic increases in the cost of living. Um, has left many more people struggling with the question of how to make ends meet. Um, So I think that's also contributed to a sense that the government hasn't achieved all that people hoped, perhaps particularly progressives hoped for, in making lives better for New Zealanders. What has all that meant for the popularity of Ardern and of her party? Over the last year, those economic forces have begun to really work against the government. Um, And with a recession forecast for the first part of this year, that's certainly 
soured the general mood on the economy and polling showing growth of pessimism about the country's broader future, economic future. And that's been reflected in Labour's results. So uh, towards the close of last year, they were reporting some of their worst results since Ardern became leader and her worst results as well in terms of personal popularity. You mentioned that early on in the pandemic, Ardern and New Zealand's COVID policy was relatively popular and it did save lives, but that's changed in recent years. Tell me about that and how it's impacted New Zealand's perception of Ardern. Yeah, so certainly I think there would still be broad support for the government's direction on COVID and the steps that it took, but as the pandemic drew on, there were these pockets that started to emerge in New Zealand of strong anti-vaccine sentiment, of anti-mandate, vaccine mandate sentiment, anti-lockdown groups, which were small often but very vocal. Uh, And that simmered along through that first year of the pandemic and last year, really started to explode in new ways. So there was the occupation of parliament, which drew on for weeks and really descended into a violent riot where they were burning down playgrounds on parliament lawns. It was an attack on our frontline police. It was an attack on our parliament. It was an attack on our values and it was wrong. So there was this kind of real ugliness that started to emerge, much of which was very focused on Ardern as a figure, uh, on conspiracy theories about Ardern and her involvement in various nefarious schemes. And that's also, that kind of sentiment has also been picked up on by the police. So there's been a marked increase in the threats of violence against political figures, but particularly against Ardern, and also by online extremism researchers who say they've documented a real explosion of vitriol, of violent rhetoric, of direct threats against the Prime Minister and other politicians. Ardern, in her resignation, said that these types of threats didn't play into a decision. Are you convinced by that? Mm. I I think the the Prime Minister also acknowledged, even as she said it wasn't the factor that led to her resignation, she does also acknowledge the toll that these kinds of things can take. And they have been an enduring feature of her prime ministership over the last year. Uh, It's involved the prime minister's van being chased by protesters. Go, 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 go! It forced them off the road onto the footpath. (laughs) It's increasingly become a feature of her public appearances. Every every day is... um, uh, is faced with, uh, you know, new and different experiences in this job and that I saw is just another day. And it has really begun to shift or risk shifting some of the tone of New Zealand's politics, which has typically been very open. Politicians are highly accessible. There's a lot of interfacing between the general public and political leaders and while this is, you know, likely a very small number of New Zealanders, they have increasingly been encroaching 
on those political interactions in ways that it's much more difficult for leaders like Ardern to connect directly to the public, to safely move through their lives, um, to be out and about. And it's hard to imagine that that didn't make the job far less pleasant and to be in. So Tess, over the weekend, the Labour Party chose Chris Hipkins, the country's Minister for Education and Policing, as the new Prime Minister for New Zealand. I'm sure we'll be talking about him a whole bunch more on future episodes on the election. But for now, what happens to Jacinda Ardern? Ardern has said she has no plans except to spend more time with her family. Arguably, they're the ones that have sacrificed the most out of all of us. In certain Neve. Mum is looking forward to being there when you start school this year. So her daughter, Neve, who she gave birth to while in office, is about to start school. And to Clark, let's finally get married. Her wedding to partner Clark Gayford has been delayed several times, I think, through the pandemic. You know, when you wake up from the bedroom, you have to work that is when you're not promised. It's the first thing you probably uh, have the cup of tea that Clark will inevitably make me in bed. <laughs> probably make Neve breakfast. And beyond that, there's certainly possibilities for Ardern on the international stage. Her forerunner, Helen Clark, who was New Zealand's first elected female prime minister, uh, went on to hold significant roles within the United Nations. I'm sure that's a possibility for Ardern as well, if she wants it. But we'll have to wait and see. He's someone who always tried to be kind. I think we'll call it a day. That was Tess McClure, The Guardian's Aotearoa New Zealand correspondent. Do check out her reporting on Ardern's resignation. I particularly recommend From Stardust to an Empty Tank. One-of-a-kind leader Jacinda Ardern knew her time was up. We link to that on the full story page as well. This episode was produced by Ellen Leebeater and Joe Koning, who also did the sound design and mix. The executive producer was Gabrielle Jackson and me, Laura Murphy-Oates. Okay, thanks for listening. Catch you tomorrow. <laughs>